Whenever we assemble before the presence of the Lord, we must leave with something. So I pray today that as we have gathered under the feet of God, that we will leave with something, you and including myself. Amen. Over the past few weeks, you know, we've had a series of messages and all of these messages, as I've pondered over them, has one overarching theme. God is trying to send us a specific message. If we are going to be the people of God, if we are going to bear the name of God, if we are going to identify as children of God, then we have to set ourselves apart. We have to behave a certain way. We have to have a particular lifestyle because the end goal of this year's theme is transformation. And there will be no transformation if there isn't consecration. You can't transform yourself, your neighbor, if you are not consecrated to God. Amen. So if we are going to influence our leaders, then we have to be fully devoted and fully set apart for God. So I feel like every single message that has come is driving home this point. And I pray that our hearts will be receptive to hear the word that is coming, to hear the word that is coming from God unto us. Amen. These have been heavy messages. You know, it's not the messages you clap to. It's not the messages you stand and cheer for. These are messages that are forcing us to confront ourselves. It holds a mirror before us, you know, and we evaluate or re-evaluate ourselves. But, you know, we're not doing this alone. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because by our human actions, uh, it would be, you know, null and void. So at least we can reassure ourselves that we have the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we zoom into today's message, you know, let's just share a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are gathered before your presence this morning that you speak to our hearts this morning, that you speak to our minds this morning, that we will not just be doers, no, we will not just be hearers, O Lord, but we will be doers of your word. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you, O Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. And come, sweet Spirit, we pray. Oh, come in your strength and your power. Oh, come. In your own special way. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. And come, sweet Spirit, we pray. Oh, come. 
even amongst us. Amen. So, we will read 2 Corinthians 3.18. And this is just to tie the bow to my earlier prelude that I was giving. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And I will read it if media is... It says, But we all with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, as we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So again, our work in holiness, our work in being consecrated, we are only going to be able to do by the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are going to be sensitive to the Spirit of God as we He works in us so that he can now work through us. Amen. So just as an announcement, uh, presiding gave me 30 minutes for my message and 30 minutes for my conclusion. Amen. So the message that we are going to preach on this morning, our pastor gave us the title. It says, The Believer's Mandate to Share the Good News. The Believer's Mandate to Share the Good News. And I coined this message that we are going to share this morning, Compelled. Compelled. So as the word of God is coming to you, you can just tell yourself, compelled. I'm being compelled. I am being compelled. Amen. So two messages. And um, for those of us uh, here, just as um, um, an aside, I like details. So there'll be a lot of details. There'll be a lot of English. There'll be a lot of Greek. Pardon me is just how my brain works. Amen. So the key text that we are going to use, Mark chapter 15, uh, 16 and the verse 15. Mark 16 and the verse 15. Mark chapter 16 and the verse number 15. And I am going to read from the New King James Version. And this is Jesus telling his disciples um, right before he is taken up into heaven. He says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'll add the 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The next verse that um, is the key or an anchor text for today's message is Acts 1.8. Acts chapter 1 and the verse 8. And it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Amen. 
So we are going to, as we have read these two, uh, the message um, will unfold from here. So as I read Mark 16 and verse 15, Jesus' last words per se to his disciples. Also what comes to mind is in the Gospels or the accounts of Jesus, you know, we have Matthew, we have Mark, we have Luke, and we have John. All of these uh, authors or Bible authors gave um, Jesus' life through the time, his birth, all the way until he's taken up into ascension. So I looked at what Mark said, 16, 15 to 18, then what Matthew wrote, which was Matthew 28 and the verse 19, Matthew 28 and the verse 19, and again, I'm going to read from the New King James Version, and Jesus's words are recorded here saying, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So then I looked at Luke and said, what did Luke have to say? about this particular incident because all these disciples were present when Jesus gave these remarks. So Luke 24, verse number 47 to 49, Luke also gives his account. And he says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Hallelujah. So Jesus, John was the only one who actually did not record um, this particular incidence in time when Jesus gave his last and final assignment. So as believers, we've all heard these verses. We have termed it the Great Commission, the final assignment per se, the final homework that Jesus gave to you and Jesus gave to me. He gave a mandate to his followers to preach the gospel and to teach all nations but this did not end with the disciples. It's ongoing, and so now you and I are also being held to this same assignment. Amen. So if we are able to fulfill this task, this assignment, then we are going to need to understand what exactly is Jesus asking us to do. We have heard message upon message upon message about the Great Commission, about evangelizing, about sharing the gospel, about soul winning. We have heard it all. I'm not here to reinvent the wheel. Um, it's just to shed a little more light um, on this subject. Amen. So as I was pondering, three questions came to mind. Who are we being sent to? What are we being sent to do? And how are we going to do it? Who, what, and how? So, the who. 
Let's go back to Matthew 28, 19. Same with Mark 16, 15. Same with Luke 24, 47. If it's your Bible, you can highlight those. Matthew 28, 19. Luke 16, 15. I mean, uh, Mark 16, 15. And Luke 24, 17. As we read uh, these passages earlier, the message is the same. But the vocabulary is different. And that is because Matthew was writing to a different audience. Luke was writing to a different audience. And Mark was writing to a different audience. You know, the Bible, when it came together, were all of these accounts of Jesus and Paul's uh, uh, letters that were all put together to make one book that we can use. But when Matthew was writing his account of Jesus, he was was writing to the Jews. He was bearing witness of Jesus to the Jews. So we can see right from Matthew chapter 1, Matthew takes his time to outline the ancestry of Jesus because Matthew needed the Jews to know that Jesus was the descendant of David so that they could accept him. Amen. Mark was writing to the Greeks and the Romans. And so if you've ever watched TV uh, that depicts Roman culture, uh, Spartacus uh, 300, which other one, uh, we can see that the Romans liked action. You know, there's a lot of swords, there's a lot of blood, and all of that. So when you read Mark, you will see that Mark uses a lot of suddenly, immediately, because he wanted to create that blockbuster. When you read it, it's like, oh, Jesus is action-packed. This is interesting because of the audience that Mark was writing to. Amen. So their audience dictated the words that they use. And I have a personal example of this. I, my youngest brother is 21. I don't understand anything he says. He speaks to me. I'm like, because he speak English. He's speaking English. Recently, I learned no cap means is, I'm telling the truth. It's not a lie. How? Like, he's talking like, no cap, no cap. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, oh, I'm telling the truth. So, again, language is important. The audience you are speaking to is important. So, the words, the specific words that Matthew and Mark and Luke use is also important so we can understand what they are trying to tell us to do. So, Matthew... When we go back to Matthew uh, chapter 28 in the verse 19, Matthew and media, if you could put that up for us, Matthew 28 and 19, Matthew uses the word nations and Mark uses the word world. The New Testament is written in Greek. So I went to the Greek uh, and Bible hub gives you the Greek Bible. So I went there. The Greek for nations is ethnos, which is the word, as we can all tell, we derive ethnic from. In Bible times, at least according to the Jews, you know, the chosen people of God, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. That's it. Two breakdowns. And so when Matthew is writing his account of what Jesus is saying, he is using the word ethnos to remind the Jews of the other people 
the Gentiles, uh, the other ethnicities or the other ethnic groups that weren't Jewish. So Matthew is writing and he says, go into the ethnos, meaning go into all ethnicities, all cultures, all races, all nations, so that it would be made clear to the Jews that the gospel did not only come for the Jews, but it came to everyone. Amen. Mark uses, and he is writing to a Gentile audience, you know, the ethnos. So Mark uses the Greek word cosmos. And cosmos is what we derive, if you can guess, cosmic um, or cosmos spelled with a C. And the Gentiles, you know, they were a grouping of ethnicities. And so he is bringing to mind social, political systems, different spheres that people moved in, the different worlds that people belonged to. Hallelujah. So each person has an individualized world, a sphere of influence. When we come here, all our different spheres will uh, you know, come together or we conglomerate. But outside of here, we all operate in different worlds or in different spheres. School, co-workers, circle of friends, social clubs, gyms, neighborhoods. And so we each have a unique world that we operate in. And what Mark is saying that we should go into those worlds, to go into your own personal cosmos, the place where you live and function and have influence over other people's lives. Amen. So ethnos, cosmos, what does it mean to you and me in 2024 Connecticut? You know, Mark has wrote his piece, Luke wrote his piece, uh, Matthew has written his piece. But when we read it now, what does it mean? How do we apply this message? The world now has become a melting pot of cultures and people. We don't have to go far to encounter the diversity in God's children. Hallelujah. So when... Back in the day, and even still now, whenever you hear evangelizing, you hear soul winning, you think of the missionary that has left his house and left his children or approved his children to go into a different nation to preach the gospel into the world, into the ethnos. But now, and also not everyone is uh, called to be a missionary. Not everyone has the calling to leave their country, but we all have a mission field which is close to us. In today's society, ethnos and cosmos have melded into one. I'll use myself again as an example. Just at my uh, work cosmos, my work environment, African, Caribbean, Mexican, Dominican, American. Ethnos and cosmos are there. And so what the word of God is telling us is the mission field is next to us. We don't have to take our bags and go to Costa Rica, to Indonesia, to the, a remote jungle somewhere. All we have to do, take a few steps down our street, look at our co-workers, look at our gym. That is where our ethnos and our cosmos have come together. So we can apply the text that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are saying, and we don't even have to drive too far. Amen. So that is the who, who we are being sent to. The what, 
what are we being sent to do? We are being sent to present the gospel and the good news. The gospel or the good news. And you know, as time has gone on, when you're uh, in the church circles, you hear these words so much that sometimes it loses its uh, weight. It loses its meaning. It becomes uh, religiosified. Hallelujah. And so what are we presenting? We are presenting the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, and his atonement for the sins of humanity. Amen. That is the good news that we are presenting. But sometimes, sometimes we get slipped and then we start to share, uh, accept Jesus or you go to hell. It is part of the message, but that's not the only message. The, Jesus didn't come to die on the cross so that he'll send people to hell. Hell is the consequence. But the main reason Jesus came was so that you and I, humanity, could now have a way into uh, back to God. Amen. So when we are sharing the gospel, we are telling people not only that they are going to go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus, but be, that we are also saying that when they come to Jesus, they can also go to heaven. But that's not the only thing we are saying because the gospel is so much more. Hallelujah. So again, Greek. Uh, what does gospel or good news in Greek, what is the root word? Evangelion. And the first mention of this was in Isaiah. When Isaiah 52, 7, in Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus, when he said, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That is where the first mention of the good news came because the Jews were oppressed. They needed a Messiah and God gave Isaiah this prophecy and that is where that word came from. Evangelion, the announcement of a kingdom and that is where the root word of evangelize came and evangelism. So as we evangelize, what we are doing is we are sending the message that the kingdom of God has now been made available to you and has now been made available to me that before when you had to go and sacrifice, before where it was only a high priest that could gain access into the presence of God once a year for only a few moments, now the good news is that I can walk in at 585 East Center Street and I'll have access to the presence of God. That I could be at my house, I could be in my car, I could be in my workplace and if I need to cry on to God I can do that without having any special rituals or any special uh, uh, sacrifices to be made that is the good news that Jesus has come so that I can have access to God and so when we share the good news what we are telling people is that you can now have the same access to God
God, the sin is there, and that is because Satan came to, you know, destroy and to um, 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 denigrate the sanctity of man. But that is not what the good news is about. The good news is that come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. You get transformed by the power of God that rests in you. Hallelujah. So when we share the good news, what are we sharing? We are sharing that come to God, the kingdom of God that has been brought to us through Jesus Christ. Although we have heaven to look forward to, on earth we still share fellowship with God. So when we come to the saving knowledge of God, we just don't sit in the same position and wait to die before we go to heaven. But when we come to God, we can enjoy the benefits that comes with the fellowship of God and then when we go to heaven, we enjoy the fellowship as well. Amen. I am one who is against prosperity messages because it sometimes masks what true Christianity is. Life is hard. Everyone is going through challenges. We all face our battles. But in Christ, you have an anchor. In Christ, you have a foundation. In Christ, you have something to hold on to. So when I'm sharing or when I'm witnessing to someone, I can say, yes, Jesus has come. He loves you. He has died for you. But not only that, you have heaven, but on earth, you can also still share fellowship and relationship with God. Because God, you know, as your foundation, as your anchor, as we travel through this treacherous life. He will give us peace. He will give us hope. He will give us joy. Um, one example, four years ago, my world, my work cosmos, since that's the word of the day, uh, was turned upside down. You know, in a matter of hours, I lost everything. Patience, practice, nothing. Like from leaving work to coming back the next morning, I had nothing. And like, you have nothing. You have employees, but I don't have, you have rent, you have utilities, taking out a big loan to buy a whole bunch of fancy equipment and no patience. And so seemingly to everyone else, I guess the employees, my world was, you know, and the, my world was crashing, uh, you know, to be honest. But I was very calm. And so, I guess it was unsettling. They didn't understand. Why is she so calm? Not a tear, not a yell. I was quiet. Very calm. So later, I know God's deliverance. And this is a big testimony. Presiding, put me on schedule. I'll tell the testimony. Um, so later down, a few months, I think about a year, one of them finally, it's like, you know, that day, like... We couldn't really understand what was going on, like you were so calm, like, like nothing was happening. And that was because I had a foundation was because I had an anchor. There's a wind that blows, and it blows for us all when the seas are churning. But the thing is, when you have Jesus, he gives you peace that surpasses understanding. So now, when I share witness to someone, I can say that, hey, this is my story. I have patients that come here and say, you're always so happy. Why? 
And then I'm like, well, because. And so it's not that because I'm a Christian, I have zero problems. But it's because I am a Christian. When the problem comes, I have who I can hold on to. I have someone I can call. I have someone I can cry to. And believe me, I have cried to God. I have told God, God, this is not what you told me. This is not what you said was going to happen. But when it happens, it happens happens big because I am sharing fellowship. I'm enjoying heaven on earth because the kingdom of God has come for me. Can you shout a big amen? And so when we share the gospel, we share the gospel that, hey, this is Jesus. He has love. He has compassion. He has peace. He has joy. Come on to him. He will give you freedom from the sin and the bondage that is holding you bound. Amen. Because, you know, we read John 3, 16, 17 and 18. I love the most. The Bible says that he does not want anyone to perish, but that all will come unto him. Same with 2 Peter 3, 9. He says that he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone should come into the saving knowledge of Jesus. So when we share the gospel, we share the gospel with the compassion that Jesus had. You know, when I was in, uh, in high school, uh, there was this hymn we used to sing. And, you know, we used to, uh, you know, as young children, um, teenagers, we used to make fun of the song. But now as an adult, it holds such meaning to me. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one, lift up the falling, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. So when we are sharing the gospel, it's not a gospel of condemnation, but it's a gospel of love that Jesus saves to the utmost, regardless of who you are and what you have done. So we don't act like the Pharisees and say that only the message came for a certain people, but we act like Jesus who ate with the tax collectors. We act like Jesus who would go to the demon-possessed woman and with compassion he would heal them. Hallelujah. Sometimes, you know, the uh, Christianity has become like, oh, it's so restricting. Uh, I don't have freedom. But how I see it and how I present it is that Christianity gives me freedom. My relationship to Christ gives me freedom from sin and bondage and the consequences of sin. Amen. That I do not have to depend on anything to have peace and joy only on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So that is the message. The gospel of peace, of joy, of love, of salvation, and the love of God that he died so that we can all be reconciled with God. Amen. So that is the what, the how. How do we do it? I mean, we see people who stand on the street with a microphone and blast and speak into, you know, the airwaves. That is one way, street evangelizing. But in our personal spheres, in our personal cosmos, how do we witness? Because God is calling us to do that. He is calling us to share the gospel in our circle, 
in our world of influence and our spheres of influence in our circle of friends. So how do we do that? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, as we read before, the Bible says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Luke 24 and the verse 49 Luke 24 and the verse 49, that's one, uh, what I want us um, to read. Jesus, after he'd given them all this, he says, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. So as they were waiting, he's given them the assignment and then he says, wait. And that is because the Holy Spirit is an essential ingredient in fulfilling the assignment that Jesus had given them. Amen. And so when Jesus said that you shall receive power, dunamis, another Greek word, uh, the ability to do things, Jesus knew that for for us to be effective witnesses, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. We need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. You know, being Pentecostals, you know, we love the Holy Spirit. We embrace the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But most of us, we limit the operation of the Holy Spirit only to speaking in tongues. But that's not it. That is just, you know, a surface, a surface, surface, surface uh, uh, smidge of what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. So if we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit as evidenced in speaking in tongues, then uh, the limiting factor in the operation of the Holy Spirit is us. How, if we are not fully uh, 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 manifesting the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are the limiting factor. And it's because that we allow the Holy Spirit only to a certain extent, like, okay, no more. Uh, this is, you know, what I'm comfortable with. But the Bible is telling us that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive power and boldness to become witnesses of Jesus, not just in the immediate circles, but even further and further and further into the world. Amen. So we need the Holy Spirit. You know, now would be a good time to turn you to your neighbor and tell him you need the Holy Spirit. Amen. To be a witness of Jesus in speech and in action, because the word witness can be a noun. You know, when we watch uh, crime videos or court videos, we call a witness. The witness will come and witness. So the witness could be a noun and an action. So as I was pondering over this, I'm like, okay, to be a witness, your actions must indicate your experience. And your words must also indicate your experience. You can't be a true witness of Jesus if your actions are different from what you are saying. And not just in what we have shared over the past few day, uh, weeks in our uh, holy living or our consecrated living, but also in the boldness that we exhibit. We cannot be afraid of the world if we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us and 
Jesus has said that we will receive power and boldness when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So to share the gospel, it must not only be in words, but it must also be supported by our actions that indeed we have encountered Jesus. So when we read Acts um, chapter 4 and the verse 13, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They realized that they had been with Jesus. That should be your testimony. That should be my testimony. That someone will look at us and know that, yes, this person bears the mark of Jesus. This person has been with Jesus. This person, by what they are doing, by their actions and by their speech, they are a true witness of Jesus. Amen. So as we conclude, so 30 minutes, let's draw our minds to the woman at the well who encounters Jesus. After receiving salvation that only comes from Jesus, this woman ran into the town of Samaria calling that all should come and know Jesus. She didn't care anymore about how soiled her past was. She didn't care anymore about the reputation that she had. She didn't care anymore about all the talking in the, the back, talking, the backstabbing that she had experienced. She was compelled to speak of the salvation of Jesus because that experience was so great and was so massive that she had no option but to tell people come and see this Jesus and after the people came and experienced Jesus and learned from him and received the salvation they then in John 4 42 and I'm going to recess and they said to the woman we no longer believe just because of what you said now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world hallelujah so by what we have experienced we are compelled to witness now when someone asks me about fear when someone asks me about anxiety when someone asks me about losing everything I can tell them for a fact because I have experienced the salvation that I got through Jesus um, freedom from fear freedom from being so anxious all the time freedom from losing every well, what I thought was everything because I have experienced it. An authentic witness is something that you have experienced. So when I go to witness to someone, the message will be the same. Come to Jesus because he loves you. The examples will be different because my witness should be different from yours because we have all had a different experience of Jesus. For it to be authentic, for it to be real, for it to be meaningful, it has to be personal. So it's not the same message, come to Jesus and you will go to heaven. No, for us to make impact in our circle of friends, those who are close to us, 
in our cosmos, it has to be authentic and it has to be real. So the message to God, from God to you this morning is be compelled to tell others about him based on what you have experienced of him. Amen. Shall we be on our feet even as we spend a time in prayer? Hallelujah. So we have learned the word of God has come unto us. Boldness, the power to have utterance. What do I say? Even to identify the right timing to be able to share the message of Christ. Is the person ready? Is the heart receptive? We are praying, Holy Spirit, just as Jesus asked the disciples to wait until they received the Holy Spirit. Now we have the Holy Spirit. It is evidence in us. It is evidence when we pray and we hear from We are praying, oh Holy Spirit, we avail ourselves to hear from you and do us with the boldness and do us with the power and do us with the 